Moncrief on News Talk. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone, the internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. Simon, uh, Simon Tierney joins us once again to talk about something you may have had a few of uh, over the last few weeks and months, uh, that being the ice pop. Good afternoon, Simon. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, and like the cure for cancer in television, this too was invented by accident. It was, yeah. Uh, it was invented by a kid uh, in 1905 in the San Francisco Bay Area during the winter. It gets very cold there in Northern California. He left out his... Uh, sugar pop. Now, in order to understand that, this is how fizzy drinks were made before they became popular as products in their mm. own way. You would mix um, soda powder with water and he did this, but he left it out on the porch overnight with a wooden uh, wooden stirrer in it. When he woke up the next morning, it was frozen and he licked it and he enjoyed it and uh, he called it an epsicle. Uh, which is a portmanteau <laughs> of Icicle and Frank Epperson because okay. his name was Frank Epperson. But just to, to kind of give us a, a general look at this, Sean, in order to understand the history of ice pops, we really need to understand it from an Amer- American perspective. In America, they're called popsicles. Mm. I did not know this until I was 10 years old in North Tipperary and I had just bought a Tangle Twister a HP Tangle Twister, which I was enjoying outside the shop. And there happened to be some tourists beside me, American tourists. And a woman, American woman, was carrying a baby and the baby was staring at my ice pop. And the woman turned and looked at me and said, Oh my God, he's looking at your popsicle. Which sounds disgusting <laughs> if you don't know what popsicle is. You'd immediately go, why are my trousers undone? <laughs> I was like, what on earth is a popsicle? <laughs> so um, I'll never forget that story. That was the beginning of my relationship with, uh, with uh, ice pops. But yeah, so this man, Frank Epperson, uh, years later, he decided to monetize his uh, childhood invention and his kids called it Pops Ickle, yeah. as in Father's Icicle. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. then they he realized, actually, that's a much better word for it. <laughs> so he called it a Popsicle and he marketed it and it was very, very popular. But sadly, he went into... Um, liquidation. Um, he oh. overstretched himself. Uh, but his invention lived on with a company called the Joe Lowe Company who realised the potential in it and founded the Popsicle Corporation of the United States. If you can ever find a more capitalist sounding company <laughs> turning something quite um, innocent into something so uh, financial. So um, he really popularised it, uh, particularly oh. so... So poor old Leprosine is like looking at this massive corporation well, with his yeah, invention. Yeah, and he looked back on it years later, uh, Sean, with great regret. He said, quote unquote, I was flat and had to liquidate all my assets and I haven't been the same since. Oh. It's a terrible thing uh, with the, all the enterprising people that we look at on this series when they create something fantastic and they go through that very difficult process of patenting something, trying mm. to make a profit out of a new idea and sometimes Sadly, it just doesn't work. Um, And that's a real shame because, of course, this went on to be a huge earner. But what was it? What was it that made the Popsicle or the Ice Pop so unique? And it was this. It was the fact that in the original patent, 
it didn't have to be contaminated by the human hand. In fact, the patent says it was a frozen confection of attractive appearance, which can be conveniently consumed without contamination by contact with the hand and without the need for a plate, a spoon, a fork or other implement. That's the brilliance of it. Yeah, it's You don't need to touch it. Yeah. And Joe Lowe, uh, when he took over the, the idea in the 1920s, he came up with the brilliant idea of a two-stick popsicle. I don't know if we ever had those in Ireland. No. I've never seen them in my life. This is like an ice pop with two sticks where you unwrap it and you break it in half and give one half to your friend. How interesting. What a great oh, idea. Right. That was a good idea. I, I thought it was like some sort of like cor- eating corn on the cob except in yes, ice yeah. pop form. Uh, That's also a brilliant idea. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ka-ching! Money's made here. Uh, right, okay, great. So uh, explain how the First World War had an impact on all of this. Yeah, so the the first Cold War, uh, as it was called, is is an extraordinary thing because there's been a few occasions on this series, Sean, where we've had uh, very similar ideas mm-hmm. competing for commercial supremacy. And the ice pop is no different. A man by the name of Bert Harry, who owned the Good Humour Company, which is a company that still exists today. It's a big uh, popsicle company in the United States. He was making ice creams on a stick and he sued the Joe Lowe company saying, how dare you also put some food stuff on a stick? Because that was our idea. Stop putting things on sticks. <laughs> and Joe Lowe <laughs> said, look, your idea isn't unique. I, mine is an ice product. Yours is a milk product, you know, we're a little bit different. We Ah. just happen to both have sticks involved in our products. So uh, this went on for years and the resolution to it when it was settled out of court was that the Good Humour Company could produce milk products exclusively uh, on a stick and Joe Lowe could only do ice products on a stick. In the 1930s, uh, Joe Lowe, the Popsicle Corporation, they produced the Milk Popsicle, which of course stretched the limit of their boundaries. This went on and on for years. It was only resolved in 1989 when Unilever, the now global giant of the ice pop and ice cream trade, which I'll get to in a moment, they bought both companies. And so it became immaterial. It became moot at that point. It's so interesting, actually, that you mentioned that just as texts were coming in and... Uh, Stephen says, I feel that a chocolate ice snack like a Magnum doesn't meet the criteria of an ice pop, as an ice pop must be basically an iced form of a drink. My girlfriend says I'm mad. Can your ice pop yeah. expert clear this, up to, uh, this dispute in my favour, says Stephen. Well, yeah, ice pop, ice pop expert. Got to add yeah, that to my CV. You can indeed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a really crucial point that your texter has brought up here, Sean, because an ice pop needs to have either an absence of dairy or it can have a marriage of dairy and sherbet together. So, for example, right. HB, the great Irish uh, ice cream and ice pop company, founded in Rathfarnham here in Dublin in 1926 by the Hughes brothers, and now owned by Unilever, of course, this this global giant. They uh, produced <laughs> they produced an extraordinary ice pop in the 1970s, Sean, uh, called the Wibbly Wobbly Wonder. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure you remember. I remember it myself. It was discontinued, I think, in the 90s, uh, sadly, 
needs to be brought back in my professional opinion. Couldn't um, agree more. They were great. But the yeah. reason it was brought in, it was actually brought in by an accountant and an accountant was expressing a huge amount of creativity in this instance and imagination because what, <laughs> what he did <laughs> was realise that ice, the ice cream part is the most expensive part, right? Mm. The dairy is expensive comparative to freezing water yeah. with a bit of sugar in it. So the Wibbly Wobbly Wonder has is 50% ice cream, pink for strawberry, yellow for banana, mixed together, covered it. And then the top is lemon sherbet, frozen, mm. frozen, uh, frozen lemon jelly, covered in chocolate. It's an absolute concoction, really, when you mm. think about it. <laughs> Quite the cocktail. But of course, the brilliance of it from a financial perspective was that uh, it looks like an ice cream, but you're cutting down on the actual dairy by 50%. So it was a brilliant cost-saving measure ah, wrapped up in a colourful product, yeah. the Wibbly Wobbly Wonder. So that's to answer your texter's question. That that That's the difference, really. Right. OK, so, uh, yeah, again, uh, so a Mars ice cream uh, isn't an ice pop. No, it's not at all. That's yeah. like 90% dairy. Yeah. Uh, Graham says you sometimes see those two stick ice pops in 1950s Hollywood films. And if I remember correctly, one appears in in the Back to the Future movies. Mm, interesting. Could That's interesting. well do, actually. Must look yeah. that up. Right. So then, and so have ice pops always been, I mean, apart from those kind of creative variations, such as Wibbly Wobbly Wonder, have they always been made essentially in the same way? Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting how they're manufactured, Sean, because it's it seems like such... I remember even when I was a kid, let's make our own ice pops. It seems like mm, such an easy yeah. thing to do. You just get a bit of Fanta or something and pour it into a mug and throw it in the freezer. And then your mother comes in and finds a cracked mug in yes. the freezer. Crack. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is this... Uh, we talked a long time ago when we were talking about the flash freezing process by uh, Clarence Birdseye. And the freezing process is really very tricky because it's all about the size of the ice crystals. Now, I'm sure you've had this experience. If you've bought a really cheap ice pop, mm. it's rough texture on your tongue. Yes. That's because it has large ice crystals. If you buy an expensive one, like say a Solero or something like that, it's very, very smooth on the tongue. And what's happening here is that nowadays in the manufacturing of ice pops, there's a, a fascinating process called overrunning, which is where when the the, the liquid, the sugar sherbet is put into the mould, it's constantly agitated throughout the freezing process so that large ice crystals are not allowed to develop. So you end up, the finished product, the finished solidified frozen product has tiny round ice crystals in it that the tongue doesn't even register. It's like licking a puppy's uh, nose. Maybe you shouldn't, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Baby's backside, think, you could have said, or you know, a puppy's what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be, but you could possibly be arrested for that. Uh, so uh, we wouldn't recommend you do but you that. You get what I'm saying? Yes, indeed. Oh, right, that's so interesting. It's yeah. so interesting. So it's all about the overrunning, um, and uh, that's what you know an expensive ice pop will make today. But just to go back to your texture there, Jean, because it's in- interesting about what, how you define an ice pop, like. Does an ice pop not only have to be exclusively made of frozen ice, Mm. frozen water, sorry, um, but does it also have to come on a stick? Ooh, 
But it's messy if it doesn't come in a stick. But yeah, is there not any examples of it not well, being... A, well, oh, there was that thing what, that was yeah, in a cone. Yeah, what yeah, was that yeah, called? Yeah. Mr. F- well, there was the Calippo. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Calippo is a fantastic ice pop. I, that's still in existence. Yeah. I believe it's still made by HP. But... The, one of the most popular when I was a kid, uh, because it was the cheapest, <laughs> was the Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yeah. And that obviously has no stick at all. You just pushed up from yes, the bottom. Yes, yes. It was about, Jesus, it was about a foot in length. It was mm. a massive thing, but it cost 10p. And it's a brilliant invention by the ice pop industry. I'd completely forgotten about them. They were fantastic. But why yeah. is it so brilliant is because it's only frozen at the point of sale. So it's very easy and very cheap to transport. It's transported ah, yeah. at room temperature as yeah. liquid. Yeah. So you don't need a reefer to transport it. It only freezes when it's brought into the shop. And that was the brilliance of that when it was developed in the 1970s, still going today. And it's almost like a theme running through the programme today, uh, that of uh, racism. The Golly Bar? Yes, yeah. Now, I do remember this, Sean, um, and I'm surprised that I do because the Golly Bar, which was produced by HB, um, it was only discontinued in 1992. So I do remember having them. Uh, The Golly Bar, the word uh, Golly Wog is obviously uh, something that was unfortunately used a lot uh, both in commercial products, but also, you know, there were the Enid Blyton books with the the gollywogs Mm. uh, and everything. And this was an ice cream that was produced from 1957 in this country until 1992. The bizarre irony of the golly bar is that it contained pure white ice cream on the inside. Yeah. Just shows you, uh, as we were saying before, all these uh, uh, all these historical events do leach into into the present tense. Simon, fascinating as ever. Thanks a million. That was uh, uh, Simon Tierney there. Lots of uh, fans of Ice Pops out there, uh, as I understand. Hello to Cora, who's listening avidly uh, right now in the car. Moncrief on News Talk.